giant robot smashing into other giant robots. Hey everyone, welcome to the giant robots smashing into other giant robots podcast, except not really. Uh, we are off this week. I am off uh, programming somewhere, and so instead we're going to be running an episode from the Lila and Brenda show. Uh, we thought you would like to hear it. Interesting podcast about the people behind tech and design. Uh, just one episode. If you like it, go give them a subscribe, and uh, we'll see you next week. Hope you enjoy. Welcome to the Lila and Brenda show, the podcast where we talk to developers, designers, and other creative people in tech about their work. Today, we're joined by Daniel X. Moore. Daniel is the HyperDev team lead and a member of technical staff at Fog Creek Software, creators of Trello and co-creators of Stack Overflow. He is the creator of the popular reactive templating framework, Hamlet Coffee, and has worked in a variety of web programming roles at Sony, OkCupid, and others. Yeah, so first of all, I was so interested in your job title, software aficionado, that it says on your LinkedIn. Is that an official title, or is that something you made up for LinkedIn? Uh, I guess I'll let you in on a little secret on LinkedIn <laughs> that you can just put anything in the box and no one can stop you. <laughs> <laughs> what? It's like a free text form field? Yeah. It's not like uh, SSL certs where you need to get validated on them. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I, I wonder what I can put in there now. Um, so that's not like what's on your business cards. But um, I, I really like it. And also just the description. Um, it says that you design and develop new products for developers um, within Fog Creek. So could you talk a little bit about what your role is and how you, you know, I, it seems like HyperDev came out of this, right? Yeah, definitely. So my role at Fog Creek, uh, right now I'm the team lead on the HyperDev team. So HyperDev is an online tool for people to create web apps extremely quickly. So if you go to hyperdev.com, in two seconds, you'll have an app up and running on the internet. You can share the link, collaborate with people, and make changes instantaneously. It's great for prototyping, for sharing work with a client, or collaborating with your team. And I pushed pretty early on the sort of initial concept for HyperDev. And I guess being the team lead, it's sort of a lot of, from like sort of creating the initial idea and getting people to rally behind it and also a lot of like low level things just sort of our testing setup our deployment setup even testing philosophy and uh, deployment philosophy in addition to a lot of front-end work my main focus i guess technically is uh coffee script and javascript on the front end but then philosophically i've got a lot of uh big ideas for the project a sort of vision of where it's supposed to be going what are the philosophical underpinnings of HyperDev? Uh, let's see. I guess a lot of the influences are work by Alan Kay and Brett Victor. I follow a lot of their stuff. And sort of the idea that computers can actually help us to make our lives easier if we spend a little bit of time to think about and design how we use them. Because oftentimes... Like, computers make our lives harder or the same difficulty, just it's on computers now. And I think there's actually a lot of opportunity to make tools that are easier to use, tools that better fit the way people think. Although someone looking at HyperDev might see that it's not this uh, ideal conception of those ideas. 
it's a very pragmatic approach to sort of meeting people where they are today with the skills that exist today, but take those ideas of enabling people to do more with computing, uh, but at a very pragmatic level. Yeah, I mean, as a front end developer, you know, I'm pretty self taught. All the things that HyperDev does are all the things that I have no idea how to do on my own and hate to do and and always end up, you know, hitting my head against the wall for um, and having to call in resources to help. So I think it, it seems really I'm looking forward to playing around with it more. Um, so with Fog Creek, so how as an organization does Fog Creek make time and space for you to explore building products like this, exploratory projects? Like Trello came from Fog Creek as well as like an exploratory project. Was this a need that internally you had or was this an idea? Like how do these ideas start and how do they get developed? Uh, yeah, so I guess Fog Creek does have a pretty long history of launching new products almost every year actually, but there's only three or four big ones that have really uh, succeeded, which still isn't too bad, like a 25% success rate. So the main things, I guess, that Fog Creek launched, uh, Fogbugs, they co-created Stack Overflow and also launched Trello. So there's quite a history of launching kind of cool and interesting ideas. And that's one of the reasons actually that drew me to Fog Creek when I was uh, looking for a new job a couple of years ago, that history of launching new and interesting projects. And actually, it's kind of funny for HyperDev, I personally like to explore and launch new ideas and really try and push the boundaries of what we can do with computers and what we can do on the web, especially. And originally with HyperDev, I well, actually, it didn't start out as the idea that it was. It started out as it was going to be like a HyperCard kind of uh, remake on the web with like a visual programming interface or something. And then when we talked to Joel, the founder, about it, he says, yeah, don't do anything visual programming because that's impossible or it's just a tremendous amount of time and no one really likes it. And that's true, actually, because people have been trying to do it for 40 years. And I guess Scratch is doing okay these days, but like it's so much work for just a small change and then people have to like relearn everything of how they do stuff so it was interesting uh, yeah one thing i was wondering is what other products you looked at when you were in the early stages of of developing the hyperdev concept something that came to mind for me was mozilla's thimble which you can't really make apps properly you can make css and javascript and html websites and you can remix them but i was wondering if you looked at thimble or scratch or or other tools like that uh, yeah, the main things we looked at, uh, there's sort of CodePen, JS Fiddle, and Thimble, and things like these front-end focused kind of playgrounds or front-end things. You can just host HTML, CSS, JavaScript, uh, NeoCities, and things like that. We also looked at Heroku and Cloud9 and Google Cloud Platform. And those are sort of like, basically, you have a server, but your interface to it is through the web. So it like takes everything you can do on a server it just gives you a web interface. And that just seems insanely complicated to me. It's like, why, like if I just want a server, I'll SSH into a server. But if I want to do something on the web, I shouldn't have to think about like what processes are running on my machine. Like, why do I have a machine? How do I pick the right operating system? It doesn't make any sense. Yeah. 
so it sounds like you started like you wanted to build a project, like you wanted to have a side product. So you were thinking of the hypercar direction. And then what steered you more towards this direction? Uh, yeah, so I'd worked on a web-based editor, actually many different ones uh, historically, like over the past maybe nine years almost, I've been doing weird web-based editors in the browser. I have like a pixel oh, editor. Wow. Uh, what's the biggest gotcha in those? <laughs> it seems uh, like... I guess the biggest gotcha is it's actually a tremendous amount of work and it doesn't really look like that when you get started. And the biggest mistake would be if you try to write your own editor, just use Ace or Code Mirror or whatever, uh, Microsoft's Monaco, I guess. Is that the one they launched? Just find one that someone else did and uh, use that. Because if you write your own editor in the browser, that's also an impossible thing to do. So you just have to pick one that's good enough. Yeah, that's something yeah. I noticed when I was playing with HyperDev last week is that all the work you've done to ab abstract away configuring your development and deployment environments is very sophisticated and awesome. And the the text editor in the browser is like pretty basic. So I was wondering uh, why you chose to focus on the aspects of configuring like environment configuration and server configuration rather than making the experience of writing code more, I don't know, more like Vim, I guess. <laughs> yeah, let's see. So I guess another tip from like a gotcha on making a web-based editor would be like writing your own frameworks or writing your own way to do things. And we actually had originally started with that. Mm -hmm. in, in addition to just having the web-based editor, there'd be like a hyperdev framework that you use that's supposed to make it even easier. But it actually kind of makes things a little harder because if people have to learn a new way to even write their code or a new framework in addition to your browser environment, they're like, that's too much to learn. They're not going to stick around. Mm -hmm. So when we chose to keep it simple in the editor, we wanted to just your normal code would work. You could copy and paste JavaScript from Stack Overflow. And if the answer was good, it would work in your app. And we knew that like we can always make an editor better. You can always add features. You can always add more autocomplete and find in files and all kinds of static analysis and project, whatever. But, you know, people still use Vim or Windows Notepad or whatever tools they have at the end of the day. And it's not like a make or break thing. Just every new editor feature adds a little bit more people who would use it. But the thing we wanted to test was, are people even able to trust a browser to write and deploy their code at all? Like people should use it despite the editor because it makes their life so much easier. They'll be willing to put up with a little, like not their favorite Vim bindings just <laughs> for a little bit to get their stuff out earlier. Yep. Ooh, cool. So I guess I'll try and take it back. Like I feel, I feel like I have so many questions. We have so many questions. We're just like, like throwing it out at you. But um, I still want to get back to the beginnings of like getting to this idea in particular and how you decided that this was the direction of an idea that you wanted to go pursue and how maybe it changed over and evolved in the process of building it. When was this too? When did you start working uh, on this? So we started like the very beginning, I think was about 18 months ago when okay. HyperDev was sort of what it is looking like today, basically. And then about a year ago was when we like really started on it. So the 18 months ago, we have this uh, process at Fog Creek called Creek Weeks, and it's sort of how we innovate and generate new ideas. 
And basically, it's like a hack week or just some kind of time where about two or three people can get together, prototype an idea or design an idea or like think about and work on an idea without having to worry about their regular weekly stuff. Uh, and then at the end of the week, they present it. And if it's really cool, we kind of keep it in our back pocket and then find a time to work on it later after we've like collected, you know, everyone's had a chance to do it over the course of a quarter or a year or however long it takes. And it's sort of actually weird like this time because Trello had just recently split off and Stack Overflow had split off a few years ago. And like Joel and Michael, the founders, were like, yeah, we don't need any new ideas. We've already got too many companies. But uh, I have this sort of compulsion where I always create new computer things. So I'm like, well, we'll just try these Creek Weeks again, see what happens. Uh, and so we eventually uh, did a round of them. I think we had maybe 10 different ideas, uh, which we narrowed down to three. And then of those three, I think HyperDev, we worked on two of them for at least like three to six months. And then one of them uh, we discontinued because it wasn't looking as promising. So now we're just basically focusing on HyperDev for our uh, new idea front. But actually, I would like to get more Creek Weeks like as a continuous process rather than, well, let's just generate some new ideas and start innovating now. It's like, uh, I think it's healthier to do it gradually over time. Like if you spend just 10% of your time on ideas that aren't directly goal-oriented, that's not like, let's ship this feature this week or solve this problem this week. It's like, let's just explore something really interesting. I think it pays for itself immediately because then when you go back to your other work, you have a new perspective, you've maybe used a new tool or worked with someone you haven't worked with before and learned some tricks. So you get like a 10% boost on your daily work just by yeah. spending 10% of your time exploring. I totally agree. I think like here at ThoughtBot too, we'll do, we have a end of the year kind of hackathon, Palooza, but it ends up to be about, we'll do like a two day hackathon, similar thing. And yeah, working with teammates that you normally wouldn't work on, getting the chance to explore and go down roads that you don't really have the time necessarily during the day-to-day -day work. I mean, we, we also do like a, a Friday investment day, but the idea of taking like a full week or, or a bigger set amount of time sounds really valuable because to really kind of get your head in that game for longer than a day. Yeah. And avoiding the overhead of context switching between, for us, we're consultancy. So between client work and whatever we want to explore on Fridays, that would be good. Yeah. And definitely as you have these like bigger chunks and like more people working together, if you even cycle through the iterations like a couple times, like the third one you do, you'll get a lot better at shipping things quickly, at knowing how to cut scope and how to deliver. And those are skills that are valuable. Mm -hmm kind of across the board. Yeah. Uh, oh, and yeah. if you work with uh, even different people, like you could combine two different ideas that individually didn't quite have what it takes, but then now you can see them both together. You get like a new insight or a new direction just as you accumulate this uh, fertile ground of innovation. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. So were there other people on the team early on in the project who had a big imp impact on the direction? And if so, how did the scope or the purpose evolve in the early stages of product development? Another way to think about this is I think um, 
when I was playing with HyperDev, I thought, oh, wow, this is, a, this is a really great prototyping tool. It's so easy to just put something together and put it out there and, you know, show people it works. And I was wondering if it was initially conceived as a prototyping tool. Uh, let's see. So originally it was me and Persian, a designer, who were on the original idea for the Creek Week. And I think we were the only ones working on it for like the first few months. And our idea, or like even on that very first week where we really, I think uh, the Friday before when we talked to Joel, he says, don't do a visual program in. So then I looked back at my sort of uh, trash heap of all these projects I'd done <laughs> historically. I thought, well, I guess I could do this editor type thing that's simpler, doesn't have any like visual component. It's just you put code in the browser and you can run it really quickly. We were actually originally planning to do it only client-side because that was uh, closer to what I was familiar with. But then from a productivity and business perspective, like client-side development isn't a great business because I guess there's already tools like JS Fiddle and Mozilla Thimble and all of that stuff, uh, and even NeoCities and GitHub Pages. Like there's not really a great... All these things are free, you know, so there's not a great business in just client-side stuff. Uh, so we also pretty early on uh, decided to shift it to full stack client and server. And Node.js was our sort of chosen environment, mainly because there's a lot of Node developers and JavaScript developers. It's like 50% of developers or something, something crazy like that. Uh, oh, really? Wow. Yeah. That or at least on Stack Overflow, sense. maybe. But oh. <laughs> yeah, there's probably a bunch of uh, embedded systems people who just don't use the internet and we don't know about them yet. <laughs> probably. <laughs> sort of democratic and populous languages like JavaScript. We plan to add more languages soon. Uh, PHP, Python, Ruby. Sort of dynamic scripting languages really fit in our uh, model as well. What we discovered really early on is... When you are coding in this environment and you're getting this quick feedback, if you can see your app and your changes take place in under about a second and a half, then it feels really great. Uh, but if it takes like two seconds, it feels terrible. And you're like, I'm just going to go back to my local machine. Hmm. So interesting. it really, like there's this very narrow threshold, like when you change the color on your CSS and you see it pop up on the other tab, if that takes two seconds, you just your brain says, nope, too long. I'm going back to my local environment. It's how crazy. How did you, yeah, but that actually sounds like exactly how I would behave as well. <laughs> um, so how did you perform this testing to get this data? I mean, we just sort of discovered it empirically, I guess, as we were building the product. Like we knew we wanted it to be basically instant, but, you know, it starts out slower and we just keep optimizing it and it's like, it was always feeling pretty bad and slow at the beginning. And then all of a sudden we crossed over this under like 1.5 second mark. It's like, oh, wow, this actually feels really good now. It's like, <laughs> it works. <laughs> so that was in, in your personal experience using it as you were developing it? Yeah, we would uh, spend a lot of time as we're developing it, actually using the product to sort of guide our intuitions of like how it works and uh, how to develop it, what features are important and things like that. That's cool. How are you validating your assumptions about which features are important with the broader community? Uh, let's see. Like we have a support forum that people make requests on 
or have any problem they have they can talk about. Uh, and I take real user feedback when they like have a problem and they say, hey, I'm having a problem with this. That's probably the most valuable information you can get when developing a project or a product or anything is someone, a real person is trying to do something and they have a real problem. Mm -hmm. So that's the most valuable information. Yeah. So you have basically a direct line on this kind of feedback through the support forum. Yep. That's awesome. I mean, that's why you ship early and do it in small chunks so that you can get that feedback right away, you know, and yep. and, and then iteratively build. Yeah, and definitely. So when did you um, start to, when, when did you officially launch or when did you release? And are you in beta still? Uh, yeah, so we officially launched the beta in May, I think like the last day of May. And now we're still in beta. We might have, I don't want to set any dates or anything, but we might be coming up to like a pretty big release soon in the next few weeks to enable some of this multi-language stuff uh, and Ooh, to improve some stability things. Some so, You're not going to give yeah. us a little like what language it might be? Uh, or? <laughs> I mean, I've mentioned a few like uh, PHP, Python, and Ruby are top on our list. Maybe Go, maybe. It depends on... Part of the issue with adding languages is we can, like even right now with Node.js, you can like download packages and install them and run them and it sort of works. But when we officially release it, we want it to be like a first class citizen of the platform and not just be like, yeah, you can do this weird hack and maybe it'll work. Good mm -hmm. luck. It'll mm -hmm. be like, okay, let's really make it so when a Ruby programmer sits down, they can install their Ruby libraries using our same like package finder interface that makes it really easy to search them and things like that update the gem file for them and sort of make it really easy to, for people to get started yeah how do you envision organizations using hyperdev or put another way how do you envision people using hyperdev collaboratively to collaborate on projects that more than one person needs to contribute to uh, yeah, so I think it would be great for a lot of organizations. Once you have a project or app in HyperDev, then if you want to collaborate with someone, you can just send them the link and then they can hop in and start collaborating. Whereas a traditional method of collaborating is, well, you send them a link to a GitHub repo mm -hmm. and then they check out that repo and then they have to configure their dev environment and maybe there's a tool that configures their dev environment or maybe... They need a VM, and then they download the VM, and then they download gigabytes yep. of stuff. All the and dependencies. Then, yeah. yeah. And then maybe they have an incompatibility on their operating system, and then a couple days later, they're almost ready to start contributing. <laughs> These uh, are the things that stress me out. I, like I said, like as a, as a really purely front-end person, I don't think – I mean, working at ThoughtBot, you know, running, having scripts that will run like, you know, bin setup, like if anything goes wrong in that, I mean, I think that was the most stressful thing when I was learning to program. Anytime I'd get an error when I was doing anything in the terminal, I'd be like, help, you know, <laughs> like right away. And then I, and it was just panic because, you know, now I've learned you really, really most of the time, especially, you know, we're working in Ruby on Rails, it, it will give you an answer of what to do. It's like, hey, you don't have this gem installed, install it, yeah. you know. But just I think as a newbie, that stuff is like just panic. Yeah. And I know that a lot of this is to like 
part of hyperdev is to also be educational, right? Like yeah. for it's not necessarily for a senior developer. It's also for it. It seems like it's really useful for juniors and people learning. Yeah, I think it's actually hyperdev is also as much a communication tool as it is a coding tool. And so if you really think about GitHub, GitHub's like a communication tool. It has all of the sort of code that is in your repo and documentation and things like that. But in all of our existing communication tools, you can't actually run the app. You can't see it running. Mm -hmm. And so I think we're using the application itself is now part of the medium of communication. And so if you say, hey, can you help me out with the CSS? Send them a link. They can hop straight in, edit the CSS, see it live. Like, okay, yeah, this looks better now. Mm -hmm. And then like before you've even set up your dev environment, you've already finished what you wanted to do. Yeah. So are you using this at work now? Uh, yeah. So we do it. Uh, we have a few different projects. I think a lot of people at the company have used it for different things. Uh, we even had, they've sort of slowed down a bit recently, but we had weekly hackathons using HyperDev just to do crazy ideas or some of the support people have used it to help automate some of their tasks. And so oh. it's uh, pretty easy to just get started, add a few API tokens in your end file, and then start uh, integrating your other tools, uh, making your workflows easier. That's really cool. Yeah, I can also see because, I mean, you have a lot of remote workers, right? Like, like you're a pretty remote company. Yeah, I think we're over 50% remote. Oh, wow. Awesome. Yeah, I could really see that being useful in that scenario. Yeah. Actually, on the hackathons, we also noticed when you get like three or four people in on a project, it's pretty fun. Like different people can be working in different places and you can kind of all see it kind of coming alive before your eyes. And Ooh. it's like this shared experience mm -hmm. that's much different than, okay, I've got it running on my machine. Yeah. And the other guy's like, <laughs> Okay, it doesn't work on my <laughs> machines. Like, well, it works yeah. on my box. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and my branch and your branch and yeah, yeah. that sounds um sounds very energizing to all have uh, be able to share the same experience at the same time. Yeah. But um, related question. So it sounds like support for more scripting languages is on the horizon in the near term, and whenever I think about collaboration on software and communication about software and what it's supposed to be able to do, I think about version control. And I'm wondering if you have any plans for building out the version control features. Yes, we do. Excellent. Actually, <laughs> even from uh, the very beginning, like on our initial one week thing, we had version control in like the list of features in the design. It's just one of those things we haven't quite gotten around to yet mainly because we know that like, there's no real open design questions about it. It's like, we know we want to have it. We want it to be simpler to use than Git. We're kind of focusing on maybe the GitHub feature branch-based workflow as a kind of starting point. And uh, we have a few designs we've uh, prototyped a bit, but we haven't yet hooked up the whole system. Uh, but we could imagine you know, having Git snapshots periodically you can roll back in time. You could branch a feature and other people could just jump to different branches by following a link, basically. And then you're in the same place and each branch would be automatically deploying live. Wow. Ooh. That sounds so powerful. 
Yeah, I think Heroku is actually doing similar things. Or they were sort of starting to. They had like pipelines and you could hook it into your Git branches and automatically deploy multiple branches and promote them to Mm -hmm. production. Yeah. And so it's like similar concepts and we're just trying to make those sort of same ideas and same workflows that people have settled on and just make them very simple, very easy and just streamline the UI and the experience, just the minimum that makes it work. Yep. So it seems like the first thing to decide is what workflow you want to adhere to. Uh, we'll probably decide for you and it'll be the GitHub feature. <laughs> oh, yeah. Sorry. Workflow. I mean, literally you, not the <laughs> yeah. user. <laughs> you, you should yeah. decide for us. Because <laughs> like no one can decide, right? Like yeah. when you see these tutorials, it's like, oh, what's the difference between these two Git based workflows, whether you rebase <laughs> everything or not? It's like anyone who's reading that doesn't have the information they need at the time to make an educated decision. Yeah. Anyone who knows has already decided. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that's true. The other feature that HyperDev has that I think really sets it apart from its competitors uh, is the community around it. And so I'm really interested in why that was important. I think maybe something you said earlier probably touches on it, which is that you feel like this is more of a communication tool, but like the community projects and being able to quickly remix um, somebody else's project, why were those important features? Uh, I guess, yeah, it's really in line with HyperDev as a communication platform. And so if you go and look at GitHub and how they started out, like GitHub is definitely a communication tool, even though it looks like it's a code hosting tool. But the code hosting value of it is very little. The value is, oh, there's this whole dialogue about each project and each little community for all these projects. And people can fork their own versions, they can contribute patches back. And in HyperDev, we sort of want to take that, whereas on GitHub, all the code is dead, basically. Like you can't run it unless you somehow get it working on your machine by either being lucky or following the instructions or whatever it is you need to do. Uh, In HyperDev, everything's already running. So it's like a live medium as opposed to, okay, we got all the code and now we're just looking at it dissected on the table. It's like, okay, we have the code it's also running live and you can just touch it and see how it changes. And if you want to get your own version and run it and make a change, you can do that without having to know anything about your environment or deployment or you know all, this, all these jobs we've made for ourselves that aren't really part of the goal we're trying to accomplish. They're just chores you need to do to even get into the game. Yeah, I think about all those times when I thought that the code that I was writing wasn't working and it was really just something environmental setup that wasn't working, you know? Yeah. And you like, especially in the early days when you don't know how to check that too. I feel like I I don't fall into that trap so hard now because I know to check all those things, but hours lost. (laughs) Yeah. It's like, Oh, the watcher script had an error and it stopped watching. And yeah. (laughs) And I, so this happened to me yesterday. This is like, this is something that happens probably on a daily basis where I'll be, I'll have, I'll have the staging application open in my browser and then I'll go back to development and I'll go back to the browser to look at something in the browser and I can't understand why the change I just made isn't showing up. Oh my God. And it's because I do that all I'm the not time. on my local host. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, I, although to be fair, I think with something like HyperDev, this would probably continue to be an issue because once you have version control you would you would still need to keep track of which 
branch you're on or, or, you know, whatever. Yeah, yeah, definitely. But you would see uh, there is a button on the HyperDev where you just say show and then it opens up the window that is the one for your app. Yes. So if, as long as you click that button, you'll be okay. Yeah. <laughs> Sweet. I could also see this as really useful for um, showing, you know, a client really quickly something without having to spin it up in the app. Well, I think I think that what you're saying is to my point earlier about prototyping and how one of the uses of HyperDev is it seems like it's a really great tool for prototyping interactions in the browser. Yeah. Yeah. We have some people in the beta who work at consultancies or agencies, and it is they are using it to just get an idea out really quickly in front of a client because you do have a URL you can share from the second you start your app. And so you can put in something like your boilerplate, your skeleton app, send them the link, and then just start changing it. You could even be on a call, and they could say, hey, I want this over here. Just move it around. And then because everyone can see it at the same time, it really tightens that feedback loop. I love that because I think that's the hardest thing as a designer. I always feel like I have to visualize something in order to explain it. You know, and now, you know, the web, it's, it's not just a static picture to explain an interaction. Yep. And then the traditional way, I guess, would be, oh, well, here, I'll set up NGROC or some local tunnel, <laughs> yes. and you can see it on my laptop. Yeah. And then they're looking at it, and then you go on the train, and they're like, hey, where's the website? I want to see it again. Yeah. <laughs> I was just at a big meeting, and I wanted to show the clients. <laughs> yep. That has definitely come up on client projects for us. So this this is exciting to me <laughs> as a tool we can actually use in this context. Although I'm not a designer at ThoughtBot, so... I don't know. I, I I think it seems like a tool that would be useful for designers at ThoughtBot, and Brenda seems to agree, but it also does require a pretty strong level of familiarity and comfort with JavaScript to do that kind of prototyping using HyperDev. Yeah, definitely for now. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I've used um, CodePen for that. Like, to, there, there was a client project where I wanted to make an animation of a handbag um, that it was like it was a client that had custom luxury handbags and you could, you know, decide on the color and the leather and skin for each panel. And so I wanted to create an animation for that. And I re- I couldn't like prototype it any other way besides actually doing it in code to like show them what that was like. So CodePen was kind of the answer for me to do it in that. Um, like I tried to like say, oh, in Photoshop, these things would just change. But like, I couldn't get out what was in my head unless I like actually did it in code. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, part of it and implementing it in Photoshop would almost be as complicated as implementing yeah. it in code. Totally, <laughs> totally. I was wondering, in addition to support for other scripting languages and version control, what is next for HyperDev and the HyperDev team? Yeah, let's see. We've got the multiple language support coming up. Uh, we've got version control on the horizon, a little farther out, I think. And then we're also uh, experimenting with persistent uh, data volumes for your application. So you could host like a wiki on HyperDev. Uh, oh, nice. And we're not quite sure all of the ramifications of that, but we think it's technically very straightforward, just the complicated part is okay so now if you're hosting a wiki and someone remixes it they get like a whole copy with all the data so we have to be very clear about don't store your passwords on your file system (laughs) things like that yeah well those are 
good things to not do anyway. <laughs> yeah. Well, the if we've learned anything about people using computers is uh, following best practices will only slow you down. <laughs> True. Oh, yeah. Are there any... Uh, I, I, my assumption is that hosting data stores is off the table, but is that assumption correct? Uh, we're thinking about it, but right now we just recommend... Like you can spin up, uh, there's so many services out there mm -hmm. where you can say, okay, I just need a little Redis instance or I need a Postgres instance. Yep. And then they give you an environment uh, variable you can just paste in and now you're connected to it. Yep. It doesn't really make sense for you to focus on that. That's. Yeah. Maybe eventually if it's like, okay, instead of them going to another thing and copying it in, we can give them like a one click, just add it, but that'll be down the road a bit. Cool. This seems like such a good, everything you've said so far about the process of this is such a good lesson in if it's already a solved problem, use the solved problem first. Yeah. <laughs> use what's already been solved. Yeah. Well, it turns out on almost any product worth making, it is a tremendous amount of work, probably an infinite amount of work. And if you can't just cut vast chunks of it, you'll never finish. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Well, that's also the beauty of a web project is that it actually is infinite and it doesn't ever have to be finished <laughs> <laughs> yeah if you play your cards right you can work on it the rest of your life you can work on hyperdev maybe forever <laughs> uh cool brenda do you have any anything else you want to talk about oh i mean i just think um i just think this is really cool and i'm excited to see where this what the future oh my gosh can you hear that? Yes. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> what was that? I try and find the quietest room in this office, and something always happens. That was. And now they're just drilling somewhere. I have no idea that where. That like, amazing. Um... I just finished watching um, the TV show Stranger Things last night. Oh yeah. There's a lot of music with like that those kinds of sounds in it. <laughs> That's what's going on. It's like I don't want to say anything because it'll be a spoiler. But yeah, yeah, yeah. I we... think like what's happening in Stranger Things is happening in the New York Baba <laughs> office. I don't know what's going on behind these walls. Oh, I hope not. <laughs> okay. Well, anyway, I don't hear that sound anymore. So okay. So so I'm going to continue to talk. <laughs> but um, Daniel, thank you so much for joining us today. This was really great and interesting, and I'm really excited to see where HyperDev goes from here. Yeah, thanks. The Lila and Brenda Show is hosted by Lila Winner and Brenda Storer, brought to you by ThoughtBot and produced by Tom Obarski. You can find us on Twitter at Lila and Brenda. Mm -hmm.